Welcome to the Missio Day podcast. Missio Day is a family of Jesus, joining God as he makes all things new in Chicago. Check us out online at missiodaychicago.com. The passage that Lucas just read, read has been kind of our, our rooted passage in this series all about embodied worship, how all of our lives can be worshiped to the Lord outside of our time together on Sundays. The goal of our whole series has been to honor the importance of our embodied experience as we're in the here and not yet of God's kingdom having been initiated by Jesus's um, arrival, yet still to be fulfilled with his future coming. And as followers of Jesus, we enter into this embodied experience experience and want to see how all of our lives then can be embodied worship. And we've tried to do this with solid body theology and trauma-informed, but we've been talking about a lot of different pieces of our embodied lives, starting with the importance of Jesus as our embodied God, our embodied Savior. Uh, Tish Harrison Warren, who I'll bring up in a minute again uh, in everyday Uh, Liturgy of the Ordinary, um, says it this way, he himself took on flesh in order to redeem us in our bodies. And in so doing, he redeemed embodiment itself. And so that's what we're honoring through this whole series. We talked about how we gather and welcome one another in our real gritty, messy lives together is worship. We talked about how a posture, a physical posture of surrender to give of self in order to lift others towards God's purpose, that's worship in our bodies. We talked about the cycle of discipleship where the way that we do life together, our one anothering participation um, develops future followers of Jesus and how that cycle is important to encourage and model the way of Jesus in our lives together. Last week, Sam took us through the sacraments of baptism and communion, but got to the place where we could see not only those things on Sunday morning, but what sacramental living in everyday lives is like. And so today we are concluding with our postures of praise in our corporate worship. And so I point this out. There's so many things we can talk about when it comes to postures of praise and worship. And so there's so many, so much that's outside of our gatherings. That's actually why I would very much recommend um, Tish Harrison Warren's book, Liturgy of the Ordinary. She talks about ways in which our really everyday, even mundane things, like brushing our teeth, is honoring our embodied experience, and all can be worshiped to God. There's so much to say outside of that, but today... We're focusing in on our corporate worship posture of praise. So worship, by the way, is not synonymous with musical worship, but we are going to be talking about musical worship today. It goes far beyond. But what we're going to focus on is an encouragement towards bodily postures of worship, especially in our prayer and song together in our gatherings, what we would often call our response time, right? How we're responding. Um, And it's also going to be a little bit different than a normal sermon. You guys know that usually what we do is we open up the scripture, we get into a passage, we uh, teach, give some context, we find a place where we feel like God would be exhorting us through the scripture in that moment. We're flipping it today. What we're going to do is just um, get to the exhortation right now. We're going to get worshiping. That's the exhortation. 
get our bodies worshiping. So that's there right out of the gate. We know what the exhortation is. So what we're going to do is just open up scripture and have a shorter time in talking because I don't think the best way to learn how to do embodied worship is to listen to me talk at you. So we want to get our bodies involved. So we're going to do this part shorter, open up scripture and observe. That's it. Because we all know the exhortation, get worshiping as the people of God. Okay, so uh, here we go into our backwards sermon. Um, We're going to look at four different places in the Bible, and we're just going to observe what God might teach us and what the Holy Spirit might foster or excite in us in response. So I'm just going to take a second, actually, and, and pray over us. Holy Spirit, thank you that as we are here to worship and learn about Jesus, you are here with us. That's a promise. And we lean into that promise this morning. I ask that you would um, move something in our hearts that lets us see that that our bodies matter as we worship, um, that we would feel a new sense of freedom to honor wherever our bodies are at, but um, really lean into the beauty and the power of putting our worship towards you. We pray that you would move and shape us and Just shine your love upon us this morning, in Jesus' name, amen. First, we're gonna look at two stories from the Old Testament where the worshipers were at the forefront of important battle moments. And that's really interesting how God uh, shapes this. So the first one we're gonna look at is the story of Jericho. You may remember that song when the walls came tumbling down if you were been in church for a long time. So, Joshua is leading the people into the promised land after 40 years in the desert. And they've crossed the Jordan. And then here is this huge fortified city. And this crew of wandering people come up to it. And God has promised the city to them. And this is God's battle plan as communicated to Joshua. Uh, starting in 6-1. Now the gates of Jericho were tightly shut because the people were afraid of the Israelites. No one was allowed to go out or in. But the Lord said to Joshua, I have given you Jericho, its kings, and its king and all its strong warriors. You and your fighting men should march around the town one, once a day for six days. Seven priests will walk ahead of the ark. The ark of the covenant was where God's presence was in this time. So, but the priests will walk ahead, each carrying a ram's horn. It would serve like our trumpet, right? On the seventh day, you're to march around the town seven times with the priests blowing the horns. Remember out front. When you hear the priests give one long blast on the ram's horn, have all the people shout as loud as they can, and then the walls of the town will collapse, and the people can charge straight into the town. And that's exactly how it goes down. Very strange battle plan. But notice in our observation, who leads the fighting men? The priests, the ones who lead the worship of the people of God. And they are blowing horns, they are trumpeting, they're making music to lead the fight. So what we observe in this story is these shouts of trusting praise to God, right? They have spiritual power. They're engaging their bodies. They're not just standing there and having like a quiet moment of reflection and prayer to God. They are marching with their bodies around this large fortified town, making a noise unto the Lord. Look at that movement, sound, bodies engaged. With the leaders being the musicians, the priests, we see that embodied noise-making worship to God has power in the spiritual realm that sometimes translates into the physical realm. 
It's just an observation. I already told you the exhortation. We're going to get worshiping. This is just observation, looking at what the scripture says. I love this one. So now we fast forward a bit, and Israel has some kings that are sometimes great and sometimes not so great, often not so great. And we go back and forth. But there's one king who did a a really good God-honoring job in the eyes of the Lord. His name was Jehoshaphat, which I really like that name. Uh, 2 Chronicles 20, starting in 18, I'm going to highlight a couple things um, from this passage. Then King Jehoshaphat bowed low. Imagine his posture. Embodied worship is what we're talking about. He bowed low with his face to the ground. Think of that posture that a king is taking. And all the people of Judah and Jerusalem did the same, worshiping the Lord. Then the Levites from the clans of uh, Kohath and Korah, the Levites are the priestly clan, They stood, they stood to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud shout. We've got bodies, we've got sound going on. It goes on to talk about early next morning, the army of Judah went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. On the way, Jehoshaphat stopped and said, listen to me, all you people of of Judah and Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God and you will be able to stand firm. Believe in his prophets and you will succeed. And after consulting the people, we're now in verse 21, the king appointed singers... So it's a kingly appointment. I'm going to appoint singers to walk ahead of the army, singing to the Lord and praising him for his holy splendor. The first out in battle are the singers singing songs of praise. This is what they sang. Give thanks to the Lord. His faithful love endures forever. At the very moment they began to sing and give praise, the Lord caused the armies of all of the other ones to go into chaos and start fighting amongst themselves and our army was victorious. Do you ever see those battle movies like, um, um, oh, what's that, Braveheart or something? And like you feel super bad for that first lineup to go out because they all just sitting there with spears pointing to each other like this is an awful plan. What are we going to do? The first ones out were the singers and they sang with their voices giving praise to the Lord. And they entered and think of the boldness. I observe boldness in that a posture of incredible trust and boldness. We get back to shouts like Jericho. Actual noise making is having power. But here what we're going to just observe is in this military pursuit, they are led out in worship. So we know the spiritual power of people gathering and worshiping, but I love to honor who leads out in that. Here at Missio Day, we put a lot of honor towards our worship leaders, the ones who are leading the various bands, because we believe that what they are doing is they are leading us in to a posture of praise. They are picking songs with theological truth. They are um, leading bands, and then their whole bands together lead us. Lucas, who read scripture, Emily and Sam, they are, who are both up here. They are Merck and Chloe, Steve. We are honored to have these people We believe Christ is the head of this church. The only way Christ can be the head of the church is by leading through the people who are here empowered by the spirit of God working through them. And our worship leaders are, we sit under their leadership in that moment. They, I want you to think of that like with with a battle of spiritual power as they're leading us at the forefront into praise. It's a really powerful moment. And it's, and it's part of the way that, that God uh, leads God's people in the Old Testament and still here today. And so I want us to just observe that and honor that importance of worship. The next number two uh, group of stories we're going to look at center around King David. So King David, we know, was a man after God's own heart. 
He was one of Israel's most beloved kings. I would say most beloved king. Um, He's a descendant of Jesus. He's a guy who encountered incredible uh, victories and just really, really bad decisions too. So a really, really good, rich, big story of real humanness embodied in this great king, David. So I want to note with David, uh, two two different stories. The first of which is David created a new role in temple worship, and that was for um, uh, temple musicians. This was a new role in temple service. It was not in the law previously, but God, through two prophets, instructed David, now that my ark, which has been traveling around, including around Jericho, right? Now that you've brought it into Jerusalem, and it's going to remain in Jerusalem now, we need a new role in the temple and its musicians. And so David, we see this in two different places. First in 1 Chronicles 16, as the ark returns to Jerusalem, verse four says, David appointed the following Levites to lead the people in worship before the ark of the Lord. And that leadership of uh, worship looks like what? Invoking blessing, giving thanks, and praising the Lord, the God of Israel. So once again, we see leading out with worship as the ark was coming back. But then we see this interesting moment where in great detail, um, David is... Uh, instructing a new system for all the priests and breaking them into groups and all this. And he goes straight from that in now in uh, 1 Chronicles 25 to assigning 288 temple musicians to have the full-time job of making music. That's it. That was their full priestly role in temple worship. We see, um, I can just read 25.6. All of these men were under the direction of their fathers as they made music at the house of the Lord. Their responsibility is included playing cymbals, harps, and lyres at the house of God. And they reported directly to the king. This is a fascinating new role to be set up because David, my observation, is he's prioritizing this, this house needs to be a house of worship. And that includes musical praise. That's another part of the of the dwelling place where God's presence will be. We're elevating this role of musical praise. And then we see also another story about King David that we, if you've been around church, you may know and love that in this moment as the, um, the ark was being brought into Jerusalem, it's a big procession and there's a bunch of people around and David starts dancing like crazy. He just, his body is just letting it go. Kind of like you see kids do, like the first out at weddings. Have you ever noticed that? The kids are like, how are you not dancing right now? And it takes us all a little while longer to get there. David was first out. Uh, 2 Samuel 6 in the NIV, starting in verse 5. David and all Israel were celebrating with all their might before the Lord, with castanets, harps, lyres, timbrels, sistrums, and cymbals. Moving ahead to verse 14, wearing a linen ephod, which I don't know how to say that right, but basically um, it's, it's the, he doesn't have his full kingly garb on. He's kind of cash right now. Wearing a linen ephod, David was dancing before the Lord with all his might. I love that there's might associated with dancing in this passage. While he and all Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts, and sounds of trumpets. He is dancing as part of his worship. His body is responding in his worship to the point that his wife gets mad at him. She's embarrassed 
by the spectacle he's making. I don't think she liked him very much to begin with. I can't prove that, but I don't, she scolds him. She scolds him later and he answers her and says, I was dancing before the Lord. Like, I don't care if I embarrassed you basically, right? Verse 22, I will become even more undignified than this and I will be humiliated in my own eyes, which is another way of saying like, I don't care what other people think. My body just needed to respond. Love that, I love that observation. Now, when I bring it to us, I can acknowledge that it might be a bit of a leap to think, hey guys, you know what we should all do? We should all dance mightily like kids at a wedding right here today. If you wanna do that, go for it. Like, I love it, I honor it, but it might be that we need a little bit more of a tangible expectation. This room is not set up for dance party very well. But I wanna give you some more practical applications that I've seen in this congregation. I'll give you one, and it's Andy. A couple years ago, we sat up front one Sunday, and Andy's like, hey, I noticed I was so much less distracted with nothing between me and the stage. And we've sat up here ever since. That's what his body needs. I have people tell me sometimes, hey, Melissa, if you see me on my phone, I'm not playing games. I need to take notes or my mind just goes somewhere else. We have somebody else who knits prolific amounts of knitting during service. And she's told me I do it because if if my hands moving helps my brain settle. I love it. This is including our bodies in our worship and honoring what our bodies need. Recently, we've set up the space in the overflow room with a weighted blanket for bodies that need um, to be settled down, with fidget toys, with noise-reducing headphones for, again, overstimulation, because we honor our bodies. A very large print Bible, you guys, it's, if our bodies struggle to read, it's so big, I don't need my glasses on. I need my glasses to read this, and it's large print. That's like, it's called super giant print or something. But like, we're honoring our real bodies. Where are our bodies today? Today. Where might we, when we are going into worship, how might we change and have our bodies move around the room and be postured differently before the Lord? How do we engage and not confine to feel like we have to look like everybody else looks if our bodies need to do something else? We honor the people who are here with super duper squirm monsters some Sundays, right? If their body, their kid's body has to move, well, they have to move too, and that's okay. Let's honor our embodied reality of what it means to come together and to worship. Okay, dancing with all his might, I love it. Number three, I wanna look at some Psalms. Now, you won't be surprised that I would land in the book of Psalms when we're talking about songs of praise. Richard Foster, in his book, Celebration of Disciplines, points out there are at least 41 Psalms that say, sing unto the Lord. We know that we don't need a lot of convincing with the Psalms to pray because we often pray the Psalms, but people were singing the Psalms. These are, this is uh, the nation of Israel's like songbook. Um, and so anyway, th- these, are, these are also calling us to, to song as well. But here's what else I wanna observe. The Psalms are also full of encouragement to body posturing. They'll say things like, lift your hands to the Lord. Lift your eyes to the Lord. Like, move your body in response to the Lord. And I love that. I was looking up this week. I printed some out. There's some uh, from other churches, resources, blogs that I found that talk through postures of different moving your body postures that we find in scripture to encourage us and what those postures suggest, right? Because different postures mean different things. I found one that was like a kind of tongue in cheek that was like ranking your 
level of worship by whether or not you are doing like the, I'm carrying a TV, here, hold my baby, or Mufasa, you know? And is it Rocky or Touchdown? It was like this whole thing. I'll send it to you if you want. It was funny. Um, I had a giggle. But anyway, all jokes aside, it actually does mean something. Our body's posture communicates something. And actually, I think sometimes a decision to posture yourself a certain way helps shape your heart. What I mean by that is we don't need to wait to feel the thing to choose the posture. It's great when that happens, when I just am like, I just have to fall down and praise. My heart is so overjoyed. But sometimes I need to say, I'm going to kneel and just set in a posture of humility and reverence towards God. It's a choice because where our body goes can help form our heart and our mind, right? Because we're embodied people. Richard Foster t- said something fascinating that I had not remembered um, about this uh, language that links our, our postures and our words even for worship. So the root meaning for in Hebrew, I'm sorry, the root meaning for the Hebrew word for worship is to prostate, which is to lay out flat before the Lord, like the ultimate sign of just like humility or need for God. The word bless literally means to kneel. You hear how these are together? Thanksgiving refers to an extension of the hand. These are really beautiful reminders that like postures of worship happen in our bodies. Like this is all linked together. Biblical postures of worship that we see in scripture, lying prostrate, standing, intentionally standing firm, kneeling, lifting hands, clapping hands, lifting the head, bowing the head, Dancing, outstretched arms, these things designate or indicate decisions or feelings of praise, humility, reverence, adoration embodied. And I love that. And so those are observations. We're now going to go to our fourth uh, area of observation, and this one's really quick. We just see it in New Testament instruction. And uh, I'll point out a couple specifically where the early churches, remember at this point, the Holy Spirit has come to the followers of Jesus. They're figuring out what it means as they're waiting for Jesus to return to live faithfully in communities in their life together. And that includes instruction on how to do this new thing, this new fellowship uh, community participation, one anothering thing that we talk about a lot around here. And letters are written to instruct people on how to do this. And so these letters would be read by a community, passed on, and became eventually part of what we now call the New Testament, still instructing us today. Let me read you some that have to do with what we're talking about this morning. Ephesians 5, 18b to 20, meaning the second half of 18. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. I kind of love that they say, speak to each other in song. So wouldn't that be kind of fun if you actually did just bust out singing sometimes? That's happened before in our 9 a.m. prayer room where we gather, everyone is welcome, where somebody just had a song on their heart and just started singing and it was like beautiful. Like who says it just needs to be words unsung? I love it. So um, sing to each other, speak to each other in spiritual songs. Uh, Colossians 3.16, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, 
and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your heart. This is like actual instruction to sing. And I think it's really, really beautiful. And I observe back from this quick arch through scripture that we remember from the Old Testament that that song had power. And I have to believe it still does. We're not going out into some physical battle or trying to topple down a wall right now. But that same power of song and worship to God exists today and is an instruction to our church today and has the same spiritual and therefore often physical power in the physical realm as well when the people of God sing praise, posture to worship, etc. And so I'm going to ask the worship team to come up and I'm going to wrap this up because it's enough talk. And it's time to move differently. And so I want you to consider a couple things as we go. I, I, um, one of the verses that's just really been on my heart a lot lately is when Jesus was hanging out with the Samaritan woman at the well and they were having this conversation that already was culturally kind of shocking to his disciples when uh, they saw him there. But she asked him about like, well, where, who's right? Samaritans and uh, uh, the Judeans had different ideas about where to worship. Here's the mountain to worship on. No, we got to go to Jerusalem. And Jesus is like, the time is here when actually that doesn't matter. It's not where you worship, it's how you worship. And what words does he give to her? He says, true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. John 4, 23. It's not where you worship, it's how you worship. I'm going to quote Eugene Peterson from his message version because I love how this thought of worshiping in spirit and in truth, how that is um, communicated. It's who you are and the way you live that count before God. Your worship must engage your spirit in the pursuit of truth. That's the kind of people the Father is out looking for, those who are simply honest in themselves before them in their worship. God is sheer being itself, spirit like capital S, Holy Spirit. Those who worship him must do it out of their very being, their spirits, and their true selves in adoration. So my, my encouragement to you this morning is that we would actually believe that that Holy Spirit, who we know is here in our midst, would be communicating with our spirits in us, and that we would go to God in such praise and worship that we would actually be expectant that there would be a uniting with one another, but with our spirit and the very spirit of God through worship. And that includes through bodily postures. So move around the room as we take communion, as we pray. I don't care if it's like, hey, I'm just going to pray from a different vantage point. I'm going to sit up in the balcony after I take communion. I'm going to go kneel. I'm going to go draw. And not like the kids have all the artistic fun every Sunday. Like, let's go over, journal, express, uh, sit, close your eyes if you usually close them then open them, just change something, literally just even a different seat. We already all are getting up in our embodied selves to come to the table. I encourage you to try one new thing. Open a hand, sit, don't stand. Try one new thing when your body returns to a new seat. Walk around, whatever it is. I already warned Sam about this. So I was like, it might feel kind of weird from up front because people might just be wandering around. He's like, I'm cool with it. Let's do this thing. Let's just try. Try to invite your body to respond to the spirit in some new manner and just see how the Lord might do something in our midst. So we're going to do a couple of things. As I said, this is a time when we, um, we take communion, we receive, excuse me, communion together every single week. 
And we do this because we do it in remembrance of the Lord. And uh, Sam taught on this a lot last week, so I will just use this scripture reading to remind us. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So we take, we receive communion every single week. Uh, we'll have people up here to pray with you, for you, over you, whatever the case may be. But we really do encourage you this morning as well to move, to raise a hand, open a hand, sit, whatever you need to do. Let Let's be expectant that our hearts will knit with God's own heart as our spirit joins with God's spirit in spirit and in truth. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. We love to keep the conversation going. Find a weekly gathering or gospel community in a neighborhood near you. To find out more, check us out online at missiodechicago.com.